Is everybody doing all right this morning? Good, good. Well, I, I was going to try, but that, that intro video didn't allow me to do it. But I wanted to grab uh, Andrew Walls and, and have a little chat with him because Granger told me this yesterday they were all, this group was playing and leading worship at an event outside. And, and during one of the presentations, I hope you're not here, sir. If you're here, please forgive me. I'm not, not trying to offend you. But during one of the songs, someone like walks up as he's like playing the trombo and just starts chatting them up during the whole presentation and tells them, hey, I've got some trumpets. If y'all want them, you can have them. And he's just, oh, okay, thanks a lot. So I was so tempted both services just to walk up and start chatting them up. But I didn't want to do that because we were worshiping the Lord. But anyway, I thought I'd share that fun with you. You know, uh, as I was preparing it this week uh, for this message, I was reminded of many, many years ago when we took our little girls who now are in college and often married and everything, but they were little, sweet, beautiful little girls to have their dreams come true at Disney World. And there's so many memories there that, that we all remember of that incredible special uh, trip that we took. The one that sticks with me is not them seeing Cinderella in person in the castle. I'm sure that was wonderful. But what sticks with me is, honey, I shrunk the kids. That's, that's special. Why do I remember that? Well, because we went to this movie that was 4D, four-dimensional movie. Was this her or Madeline? Was it her? It was, no, no, this was you. I'm sorry. So everyone think about her when I tell this story. So uh, we go to this, this 4D movie. What is 4D? Well, when you're watching the movie, if they were cooking in the movie, the scene, you would smell the aroma in the building. And if there was a splash, like a kid jumped in the pool, water would shoot out the back of the chair and hit you in the face. I mean, it was incredible technology. It was surround sound. It was amazing. And I was miserable every minute because my child was terrified the whole time because they talked about, oh, the mouse, where's our mouse? And when they would have a mouse go across the screen, you'd feel a feather go across your legs. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, there is a mouse running under my legs. And so it was very powerful. It was very four-dimensional. And she was screaming and crying the whole time until I finally broke when I heard them on the screen say, hey, mom, my snake got away. And when I heard that, I said, all right, we're out. And I picked her up and we left the movie. But I say all that because today we're going to have a four-dimensional study of the Lord's Last Supper with his disciples. Jamie, can you cue fog uh, the hazer on demand? I mean, I think you should do some of that right now. Go ahead as we prepare for this message. So that's the only technology we have. There's no rats going to run around your feet or anything like that. But what do I mean when I say four-dimensional? What I mean is that we're going to get into the, the, the scene with Jesus and his disciples, and we're going to get a, a real sense of what it was like to be with his disciples as he had this last supper with them. And in all sincerity, what I hope happens is that you will see a sense of how significant, how important this meal was that Jesus shared with his disciples and, and I pray that it, it enhances your appreciation of, of having the Lord's Supper together. Now, as, as, I, as we do this, we're going to have the Lord's Supper in the middle of our message today. So hopefully you've picked up the elements for the Lord's Supper that are in the baskets at each of the entrance. If you have not gotten one, go ahead now, stand up, and go to the table, get to the elements, and then come back. Usually there's like many, many people, so feel free, stand up. Go grab the elements out of the baskets, and then we'll continue back into the message, and we'll have the Lord's Supper in the middle of our message, four-dimensional style. 
Now, as they're doing that, let me just give you a few words of preparation and instructions. Um, the Lord's Supper is open to anyone who's putting their faith in Christ alone. So if you're not a member of our church, that's okay. We invite you to participate as long as it is a way of you expressing your faith in the body and blood of Jesus Christ as the only hope for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we encourage you to examine yourselves and make sure that you are a believer in Christ to participate, but you don't have to be a member to participate. So I want to encourage you that. Also, there are just another word of instructions. You don't need to do it now. I'll, I'll instruct you later when to open yours. But there's two layers. You'll pull off the top layer, expose the wafer, and then there's another layer, expose the, the, uh, the juice. So you'll be able to do that in just a moment. But let me ask the Lord to prepare us and help us have a great time in his word this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we study Luke's record of this very powerful scene where you spend your last supper with your apostles? And Lord, in this text, you tell us the Holy Spirit is the gift of the new covenant. And we pray that your spirit will minister to us this morning. We pray that your spirit will strengthen our commitment to Jesus Strengthen the bond that we share together that is rooted and grounded in our faith in Christ. Lord, use this time to remind us once again what a blessing it is to be your children, to have these brothers and sisters in Christ whom we love and who love us and who we are there for each other as we walk this journey of being disciples of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, and Luke has been recording a very carefully studied journey of Jesus. He's gone, he's done the, the investigation, he's made sure that everything is true and factual. He says, I want you to know for certain that the Christian teachings that's been passed down to you, that they are true. And so, We've been following more recently Jesus' journey as he is on his path to Jerusalem. And, and as he entered Jerusalem, he's been, it says daily, day and night, he's been teaching and preaching in the temple. And what has he been doing day and night? He's been making the religious authorities angry. That's what he's been doing. He has been just confronting organized religion and authorities and people who have the power of the day because he's been telling them that your authority should be used not to exalt yourself at the exclusion of outsiders. That's not what the kingdom is about. That's not what the church is about. It's not about formalizing religion over power structures and, and excluding others. It's the complete opposite. He says, I want you to use whatever authority or power you have to open the doors, to humble yourselves, and to go and take my kingdom to all the marginalized, to the poor, the oppressed, to anyone who would feel excluded. I want you to take the gospel to them because that's why I came is to take the gospel to everyone. And it's been upsetting the authorities because it's threatening their power. The Sadducees don't like them. The scribes don't like them. The Pharisees don't like them. And as a result, the secular rulers don't like them. And so everyone is at an intense, heightened hatred of Jesus because he's saying, humble yourselves and take the kingdom to others. And he's saying, I am the Messiah. 
And so by this time, all the people in power are done with Jesus. And look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 22. This is the context for the Last Supper. This is what leads to us taking the Lord's Supper on a regular basis still all these years later. We're going to read this and we're going to learn why is the Lord's Supper so significant. Verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, and Luke says, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes, they were all seeking how to put Jesus to death. For they feared the people. So the people were still were, were all for Jesus, but all the rulers are trying to put Jesus to death, but they can't because the people are kind of this buffer between them and getting after Jesus. So what happens? Well, in verse 3, look what Luke says. Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was numbered of one of the twelve. Well, he went away and he conferred with the chief priests and the officers of how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give Judas money. And so Judas consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of a crowd. And so stop there. What is the context? We have two things to consider here. One is this feast of unleavened bread, which Luke says was also called the feast of the Passover. And also we see the context is this heightened persecution. This is it. It is time for Jesus to be betrayed and crucified. So what is this unleavened feast of unleavened bread and this Passover feast. I I want you to listen very carefully. I hope you don't think that this is just some ancient feast that really doesn't have anything to do with this. It has everything to do with us. Because as you understand this feast, you understand the roots of the gospel. This feast is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It later became known as the Passover. It's really two feasts that came together. And it all originated in Exodus. If you remember in your Bibles, you have Genesis, and then you read Exodus, what went down. God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and God delivered them out of Egypt through a series of plagues. He finally broke the will of Pharaoh, and he got his people out of Egypt. And this is the beginnings of this massive number of people becoming a nation. Their identity as a unified nation was rooted and grounded in these events. And what are these events? These are the events of God saving them from their bondage and delivering them from death. And what I mean by that is the last plague was this plague of the angel of death coming through the town and and taking the lives of all the firstborn. But God in his grace made a gospel, a good news declaration that if anyone will sacrifice a lamb, an unblemished lamb, I want you to hear these words carefully because these are the words of our gospel message about Jesus. That if anyone will take the blood of the unblemished lamb and believe what God said about that blood, And in their believing, would it be evidenced by their obedience to God's word? If they believe what God said, which was that if you will take the blood and spread it over the doorpost, over your home, then all who respond in obedience to God's word out of faith, that God will do what he says he will do, they will be spared the coming death. So they will be delivered from, 
They will be saved from the wrath of God that is coming if they will believe God's good word about the blood of the unblemished lamb. And that belief will not just be something they say, it'll be evidenced by their obedience to God's commands, which is spread the blood over your home. And all those who did that, spread the blood over the doorpost of their home, believe what God said was true, that he would save them and deliver them from the coming death. The wrath of God, do sin. They were saved. And God gave them instructions about eating that night, that meal that they had, the night that the angel of death was going to pass over, in their anticipation that God would do what he said he would do. They would eat with readiness. They would eat dressed and ready to bolt when God said, go. And so the, the bread would not do, it would not rise, it would not have the time to fully rise. And, and so there was this process that was not fully completed with the bread rising, and so it would stay flat because they would exit in haste just as God promised. And so all of that took place. God did exactly what he said he would do. He delivered a people out of Egypt. He spared them from death. And he made them into a nation. And so these concepts of God's word and his gospel promise and salvation through faith in the shedding of the blood of an unblemished lamb and this demands obedience. And we are a people who have been saved by God, demonstrated by our obedience to God, was to be celebrated. And God said, forever, I want you to remember these concepts. I want you to know this is the foundation of your identity as my people. And so he said, I want you to annually have these feasts where you eat unleavened bread to remember that the bread did not rise. And I want you to eat the, the, the lamb of God. I want you to eat lamb that was sacrificed to remind you that the unblemished lamb, not some weak lamb, don't give me your leftovers, the best of your flock, the unblemished lamb. Sacrifice that, and eat the, the lamb and roast it and have a, a celebration, a feast, a, a glorious time of, of eating and celebrating God's deliverance and God's salvation through the blood of an unblemished lamb. And so when they would celebrate this feast, hundreds of thousands of people, of Jews from all over the world would converge on Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And it was a tremendous time of, of identity as the people of God, the people who have been saved and delivered by God, people committed to obeying God as a result of their salvation. All of that is embedded in this act that we're doing today. All of that is why we continue to this day, because we're going to see Jesus says, keep doing this. Keep remembering this. And that's why we're doing today what we're doing, all because Jesus tells us to do it. So this feast of unleavened bread had drawn near, which is called the Passover. But we see the context that they had was a time of intense persecution, and I would suggest to you today that we celebrate this Lord's Supper today in a time of intense persecution. And it's, it's not, I'm not creating some of this, this false idea, oh, the world's out to get us. But very, very real we see here is Satan. It says Satan entered Judas. Satan is real. He is literally the, the opposes every single thing that God tries to do. And he still today is opposing Norris Ferry Community Church. 
He still is opposing you and doing all he can and working schemes and lies and trying to do anything he can to keep you from obeying the Lord's will. But we have three enemies to think of it this way. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is just the world's systems built by people who aren't building all things according to God's will. And so we have, we're swimming against current of the systems of this world. We have our own flesh. These are the sinful desires of our heart that we still battle against temptation. We still battle against sin. We still have some, many times we are our own worst enemies fighting our own desires that we have by the Spirit of God to do the will of God. So we have the world, the flesh, and finally, as I said, we still have the devil seeking to resist everything that is of God. So much like this Last Supper where Jesus gathered his believers, we have a very similar scene here today. We are under intense persecution and an intense battle, the battle of our lives. And God says, Remember, while you're in the battle, remember my blood and my body, the day I delivered you. And so I pray that's what, what we're doing today. Though I know it's foreign, I know it's, it's a strange version of it because of COVID and we're trying to have it in this little cup and there's awkwardness. But, but do your best to just fight through that and put that aside and say, Lord, I want to think about you. I want to think about your body and your blood and my salvation that came only because of your death. And we get to verse 7. It says, Then the day came of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Let me give you an aside. I don't have COVID. I tested negative. I had RSV of all things. It's probably from one of your kids because that's the thing that kids get. And you know what? I, while I'm on my aside, our med schools need to do a better job of teaching our med students because two of them called me with no bedside manners and made fun of me for having a child's disease. <laughs> Back to the sermon. Verse 7 says, They came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So I want you to realize that in Luke's investigation, what he discovered was Jesus had been intentionally timing his arrival to Jerusalem and his own sacrifice on the cross to coincide with the day that hundreds of thousands of lambs, of unblemished lambs, would have had their blood shed in the pouring in the streets. The blood, they said, would, would stream down the gutters of the streets. It was a clear and obvious statement of Jesus saying, I am the unblemished lamb of God provided for your sins. All the lambs that had been slain generation after generation were pointing to Jesus the day that he would be sacrificed on the cross. So when we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we are symbolizing, we are remembering we are declaring that our faith is solely in the blood of Jesus Christ, is in the body of Jesus Christ, that it is his body that was pierced for our sins. It was his blood that was poured out for our sins. Why is that a big deal? Because it took Jesus's blood. It took an unblemished lamb. It took a sinless man, someone who was fully God and fully man. Believe it or not, some of you might just be 
bold enough and love me enough to say, Tracy, I will die for you. Well, it wouldn't work. The only satisfactory sacrifice was the blood of an unblemished lamb. And Jesus is the only unblemished lamb of God. He is the God who took on flesh and perfectly obeyed the will of God so that he could then give his own body and his own blood as the sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And guess what? He did it. He did it for you. Knowing that you would need that, he created you and he did it. He went to the cross and took a brutal death for you and for me. And we need to remember that when we take these elements. In verse 8, Luke continues to say, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Now go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Well, where, where would you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Well, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. I wish so bad we had a man walk in right now with a jar of water, spill a little bit in water, was shoot in your face. And you would say, man, this is good. He says, follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished he said, prepare it there. And they went, and look what Luke says. They went and they found it just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Can you smell the lamb being roasted throughout the city? Can you imagine the bleeding of the lambs as they were being slaughtered and the blood poured out in the streets? And the families gathered around and telling stories and remembering the exodus and remembering God's faithfulness. And there was four stages to the Passover meal. And there would be the first cup and they'd sit around the cup and, and the child would ask the questions. That was, it was a script that they had memorized. Dad, why does the bread flat? Mom, why do we do this? And it was an intentional script to remember and to have the next generation ask about the gospel, about God's salvation. And then they would explain to them the meaning of every aspect of that meal. Now, why did Luke record this scene in all this great detail? He slows the narratives down and he stops and he goes into great detail. Ask this man. He'll be carrying a jar of water and then he'll lead you to the room. What is he doing? I think Luke wants us to understand Jesus was in total control of all of this. They did not take Jesus' life from him. Jesus is giving his life. He knows exactly what's going on, and he tells them, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go prepare a room. You're going to meet this guy. Tell him the teacher needs it, and he's going to give you this upper room, and it happened exactly like Jesus said. All of this is happening exactly as God ordained it to happen. Another thing that we see why we are reminded that they had to prepare is it reminds us that we need to spiritually prepare before we take the Passover, before we take the Lord's Supper. We can't just rush in here and in haste and, and just through some rote tradition, eat the wafer, drink the cup. All right, let's go. What do I got to do today? Paul warns us in other places in scriptures, do not 
take this in a poor manner. And so I want to I do something a little radical this morning. I'm going to give us one minute. It's going to feel like 30 minutes. I'm going to give us one minute of silence. And it's okay if your children are, don't worry, you don't have to like, get them out of here. It's okay. We're a family. But she'll give us one minute, and I just beg you to do the best you can to ask the Lord to say, Lord, would you just reveal in my heart any sin that I need to confess? Confess just means to agree. Just, Lord, just show me sin in my heart that I need to agree with you that, yeah, that's sin, and then to repent of that, and in repenting, thank God that he covers that sin with the blood of Jesus Christ. And also, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there, is there any problem between me and a brother or sister in Christ? Is there anything that after this service I need to go and talk to them and just say, I love you, do all that's within my strength to be reconciled with that brother or sister in Christ? I'll give you one minute to do that. Let's just do that. You can close your eyes and do whatever you need to do. Spend time with the Lord. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, leaned up against a pillow with a lower table, his apostles reclining around in typical fashion, there would be a clear order. The head of the table would be the highest authority. Jesus would have been at the head of the table reclining. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples at that moment. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have earnestly desired to share this meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus earnestly desired to be with these guys at this moment. Why is that? Why is Jesus that word is a powerful word, earnestly yearning, longing to have this meal with them. Is it because he just had one more thing to teach him? I just got to get one more truth in your head. I mean, he certainly has some things to teach him, but if you read the story, what comes after this? He goes to the garden. He knows it's all going down. He knows he's been betrayed, and he tells the three, pray for me. I need you to pray for me. And he goes off, and what happens? He is praying, Lord, is there any other way? And he is sweating sweat drops of blood, and he is in anguish. That's why he wants to be with them. He needs them. He loves them. 
He wants to be with them. This is his community. This is his family. These are his brothers who he's gone to battle with, who he's poured his life into. This is his church. He's been telling us what church isn't. It isn't about authority. is isn't about pomp and circumstance. is isn't about exalting yourself. It's about this. Gathering with brothers and sisters over the blood of Jesus Christ and saying, I need you. I have, oh, I've been looking forward to meeting with you. Oh, I've been longing for this day as I suffer, as they persecute me, as I am battling sin and and the devil. I need you, brothers. I need you. Jesus is saying that. God in flesh is saying that. Do we earnestly desire for brothers and sisters to Christ to come together in community and to help each other? That's what this is about. What a beautiful picture of community, heartfelt community. I pray that everyone here knows that kind of blessing, that kind of church. We're not perfectly that church, but we are striving to be about that and not about all the other stuff. We are striving to be, to be there for each other. To, to focus in community groups, to get together and say, Jesus is our sacrifice, our savior, our hope, our strength. And here's what his word promises. And we, our identity as the people of God, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeking to obey God in earnest, all that he says. I pray that you know what a gift that is. I pray that you treasure church community formed and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having said that, I invite you to open the elements. Again, there's two layers you need to peel off. One shows the the wafer and the other will reveal the, the juice. And Jesus would have taken a, a common loaf of bread and he would have passed it around and each person would have taken a piece of the bread and that would signify the, that each one of them is, is sharing of the, the one bread. There's a, there's a unity that we share in the one body of Christ that would be symbolized in us coming and taking of one loaf of bread that, that we don't want to miss out on, that there's one Christ and many members of that body of Christ And Jesus took that bread in verse 19. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And together they ate. And in a similar manner, Probably later in the meal, one of the different stages, he would have had a a common cup and he would have passed that cup around and, and explained to them these words. Verse 20, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, 
this cup is poured out for you. Listen to that word, poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's very intentional language. He's pouring out his blood for you. So do this in remembrance of me, and together they drank. But notice what he said. This is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. What is the new covenant? Very briefly in Jeremiah 31, 31, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah spoke, prophesying about this new covenant that Jesus would bring forth. Comparing the old covenant with Moses after the exodus to the new covenant with Jesus in this new day. He says, behold, days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them from the hand and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, not like that one, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, this is what he's done for you, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin. How long? Say it with me. No more. Say it again. How long? No more. Do you believe that? That's insane. He says, I will put the spirit of God in you. And I will, what does he mean when he says, I'll remember your sin no more? He says, I will not hold it against you. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are declared righteous. He calls you a saint. The holy ones of God. That's who we are as the people of God. Not because we don't continue to sin. As if I had time to go through, I would show you. We are sinners. The next scene was them betraying. Who's the one? Are you the Judas? Are you the Judas? I'm not Judas. I'm the greatest. That's what began to break out. A fight over who was the greatest. And he's going, I'm not remembering this. I'm not remembering this. I'm not holding this against you. That's who we are as the people of God. We are sinners living with each other, battling sin, battling my wicked flesh, but considered saints in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Would you join me in prayer? God, I just pray that we will fully grasp what a gift the Lord's Supper is, what a gift community is. That we who have the spirit of God poured into us, who have made us your children, who have created within us the love for you, the love for your word, the love for your church, and the love for one another. That our identity, that we remember today that we are the people of God because we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And I pray that being here this morning and being together as the body and remembering the blood and the body of Jesus Christ will strengthen our resolve to fight sin that will remind us that we are not the sins of our past, that will remind us that we are citizens of heaven 
as you reminded them. You said, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigns to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Lord, we are citizens of heaven. Help us to remember who we are in Christ, what you've declared us to be. Give us the grace we need to be faithful. Give us a deep, earnest appreciation for these men and these women, these friends who are more than friends, who are more than biological blood brothers, Lord, but they are our spiritual brothers and sisters who will go to battle with us and help us. And I wanna help them, and I know they will help me live for your glory each day because we are blood-purchased children of God. May we earnestly desire to be with one another. And if you are not in Christ, I pray you give your life to Christ now and join us in our family. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.